Morning. Welcome in. Happy Thursday to you. Nick Shepkowski here, as always, the college football morning announcements with you as I sit and I run the Fighting Irish Wire site on USA Today. Joined today with a guest, a guy that's running things for the Tennessee site, Vols Wire, it's Dan Harrelson. And sad news out of Knoxville, if you did not catch the news yesterday, legendary football player, legendary college football coach, Johnny Majors, passes away at the age of 85. I'm going to talk to Dan about him, the legend in Tennessee that was Johnny Majors, and some of the Tennessee program as well, where they're headed after they kind of turned the ship a bit at the end of 2019. What's going on, Dan? Thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Like, like you said, it's an unfortunate situation uh, with uh, Johnny Majors leaving us. Uh, he was a legend for Tennessee as a player and a head coach. Uh, he, he had a remarkable career as a player. He, he finished a runner-up uh, for the Heisman Trophy, uh, I believe his senior season. And then, uh, of course, he won a national championship as a head coach, 1976 at Pittsburgh. And then that very next season, he came back home to coach Tennessee until 1992. He won three SEC championships. It's been a rough week, though, in the SEC landscape. Uh, Auburn lost the great Pat Dye Monday. And then today here on Wednesday, uh, you know, we, we, we lost, uh, you know, Johnny Majors. So it's been a rough week for the SEC landscape. Yeah, no doubt about that part. Unfortunate news to, to kind of see this morning. I know Bob Nayland is is the stadium named after him coached at Tennessee forever maybe he's on this list but is there anyone that's that just reeks of Tennessee football that that, that bleeds Tennessee football quite like Johnny Majors well we always talk about a Mount Rushmore for a specific team or a school or whatnot and you kind of look at a Mount Rushmore for the University of Tennessee football program Obviously, like you mentioned, uh, General Neyland, he, he's there. He, he meant so much to the program just from the initial start. Johnny Majors, as I mentioned, as a player and a head coach, meant so much to this program. And then Philip Fulmer. I mean, he was an assistant under Coach Majors. Uh, he played at University of Tennessee. And then uh, he, he's back now as uh, – as the athletics director, won the national championship, couple SEC titles uh, as the uh, Vols head coach. So uh, you look at those three guys, and then, of course, the guy like Peyton Manning, uh, I think that's your four guys if you're going to put them on a Mount Rushmore. And uh, Mount Rushmore is kind of meant to be from different eras, too. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it just is a perfect fit just to go from Neyland to Majors to Fulmer to Manning in a, in a perfect sequence there and they all meant a lot to University of Tennessee and uh, one thing uh, about the University of Tennessee football program and speaking to you and just kind of looking back at the at Notre Dame series I mean you, you kind of look back at some of the great games I mean I don't think the two of what met since what 04 05 around that time yeah I think it was uh oof. Yeah, I think that's the exact years. That sounds right. Right. Yeah, I remember, I think it was 04 when Notre Dame came down to Neyland Stadium and, and won that game. It may have been with Ty Willingham. And, uh, Ty Willingham, you know, 10 teams yeah. here in Michigan and Tennessee, but he couldn't beat Boston College. or Exactly. I mean, you look at 01. I remember 01 specifically. Casey Clawson goes up there and, and, and grabs a win at uh, that historic stadium there. And, I uh, go back to Miracle at South Bend. What was it, 31 to 7? And then yeah. Tennessee comes back, wins at what, 35, 34. So 
Uh, that's one of those helmet-type games I, I always refer to. Tennessee played BYU last year. I, I was talking to some BYU guys uh, leading up to that matchup on game week, and you think of helmet-type games. So that when, when two iconic teams, with uh, you, you just know who they are just looking at their helmet. You know, you just love to say that's college football. Yeah, and that's – I mean, I, I've talked about it on here before. I've written about it. It's what I've liked about Notre Dame and Tennessee when they've played. They play in Knoxville. They play in South Bend. Notre Dame has to play Wisconsin and Green Bay this year. Green, they play in Chicago next year. What's wrong with going to Camp Randall and playing against – I hate the neutral site games. I hate that idea. Notre Dame's as guilty as it of it as anyone out there in the country. Like Alabama opening with USC this year. Why can't – if you're opening with them for the second time in the last five seasons – why not do it home and home? Why do you have to play it in Dallas? Why do you have to play it on a neutral site? Like, that's what makes college football great. Campus atmosphere, full stadiums of 100,000 or so. I just, I will not understand that, but I can go on a rant about that for probably days on end. I, what was the relationship like with, with Johnny Majors and Phil Fulmer? I know from afar, it, it seems like there was an odd exit for Majors once he decided to, or, when, or once it was decided for him to leave Tennessee. Was there bad blood with those two that's, that stay throughout the years? Or what do you know about that part of, 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 of I guess, the Tennessee history? Right. I mean, it's, it's never easy to transition from, I guess, one head coach to the other, especially when they're two guys that, that, that played at that school and were head coaches or assistant coaches when Fulmer was offensive coordinator in 92. And uh, for, I guess, maybe listeners that, that aren't too familiar with what, happened in in 1992 Johnny Major's final season uh, he had some heart issues uh, early on in the year so he had to kind of step away uh, Philip Fulmer the offense coordinator filled in that they did pretty nice on the field and that as we know uh, th- that brings up conversation like you know is Philip Fulmer gonna be the guy I mean is, what's the health situation like with coach Major's and there was a lot of division there, and uh, University of Tennessee elected to, to move on. Coach Majors actually came back during that season, won a few ball games, but they still ultimately elected to go with uh, Philip Fulmer. Fulmer did a nice job, as we know, a couple SEC titles at 98 National Championship. But I, I do know for uh, a fact that, that Coach Majors had uh, – an extended contract uh, around that time frame when he was sick or in the hospital. And he could have been easily the head coach in 1998, 1997, when Tennessee was winning a couple SEC titles. And so, I mean, that, Philip Fulmer put out a statement today on, on Coach Majors passing that, uh, you know, he was thankful for the opportunity to that Coach Majors gave him to play or to coach in big-time college football. So, you know, that, that, that's more of a, I guess, a question for uh, Philip Fulmer directly to, yeah. to kind of talk about how that ultimately went down. But, uh, you know, I personally, I like both of them. Uh, I thought Coach Majors did a lot for the program, uh, like I said, as a player and a coach. But when he came back after winning the national title in 1976 at Pittsburgh to rebuild the program, it took a while after Bill Battle in when he left in 76 and Bill Battle was a young coach. He's one of the younger coaches ever to take over a head coaching job. I think he was like 29 when he took over, he played for Bear Bryant at Alabama and then took over as head coach in 1970. And 
had some good players like Condridge Holloway, the first African-American quarterback in the SEC. Uh, just couldn't really get to that championship level. But it took Johnny a few years, and he finally won the SEC title, upsetting uh, University of Miami in the Sugar Bowl. And Miami was loaded that year. I think Michael Irvin was on that team, Testaverde. And uh, they won the SEC title that year, won the Sugar Bowl, and that kind of parlayed into uh, to winning, uh, I think it was 89 and 90 SEC titles. And uh, that nine, or the 89 year, they actually had a, a three-way tie with Alabama and Pat Dye and Auburn. And I, I spoke with uh, Vince Dooley, the, the former Georgia head football coach who won the national title in 80 and on Monday about Pat Dye's passing. And ironically enough, we were talking about how 80s SEC football, you think of three people, Vince Dooley, Pat Dye, and Johnny Majors. And we had no clue that this would happen today with, with uh, Coach Majors. So it's unfortunate, but I, I guess that was a long question to, to kind of give you an answer about, I guess, the relationship between Coach Fulmer and Majors. But I think deep down inside, they, they probably had some respect for each other. Yeah, he's Dan Harrelson. He runs vollswire.usatoday.com and talking a little bit about Johnny Majors. You know, you have an interview that you did in recent months with, with Johnny that you recently posted that's there on Vols Wire that people can check out. Anything especially that, that, that's highlighted there? Anything, that, any big takeaways from the last time you sat down with him? Just a true passion for the game. I mean, you know, just like I said, anytime I'd, I'd, I'd call him up just to talk football, you could tell he, he loved that. He was just – that's what he was about from his high school playing days to being recruited by the general, uh, Robert Nealon. And then he was part of his last signing class, Nealon, until he had to retire abruptly for his health. Nealon stayed on as athletics director, and he just kind of talked about his uh, time uh, playing at Tennessee. But Nealon was still sitting in some coaches' meetings, stuff like that, being at practice as the AD, kind of like Philip Fulmer is now at Tennessee so it was just kind of unique to kind of go through those sequences of uh, each era that he's really been a part of. Uh, looking at this Tennessee team now it's I, making the awkward transition from Johnny Major's passing to, to where Tennessee's at now anyway. Last year the start 0-2 the BYU lost, Georgia State lost, kind of the laughing stock of the SEC, a laughing stock of Power 5 college football few weeks later they're one and four and it's looking just bleak and they go on one heck of a run end up closing the season with six straight wins they win the Gator Bowl over Indiana uh comeback fashion in that game and all of a sudden it seems like the tides turn quite a bit for this program what what what's different about it what changed at the midway point of last year that that made this Tennessee team look like okay that's an interesting team going to 2020 and it's got at least one heck of a start to its recruiting class for 2021 Right, and, and I guess kind of sticking on the Johnny Majors theme, after that BYU game, or I'm sorry, after the Georgia State loss uh, opening week last, last year, before the BYU game, I, I called Johnny up and I, was, I, was, I just asked him, you know, flat out, I was like, how long, not talking about this year's team, but how long did it take you to, to build the program when you came back? Like, like, like we've been talking about, he, he left a national championship type program at, at Pittsburgh and he knew he had to rebuild his alma mater. 
And so I was just curious, how long would it take to, to change? We keep hearing about change the culture when you're rebuilding a program, recruiting your guys, and blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly what he said, is that when he took over, there was a lot of holdovers from the previous staff that a lot of these players, uh, they didn't want to play the hard-nosed football and adapt to – to his program. And that's what we had to see with Jeremy Pruitt. And what we saw some players leave during that one and four start last year for Tennessee. But guess what? The players that stayed were a lot of Jeremy Pruitt's guys and they were young, but a lot of them just kind of came together and hats off to the quarterback, Jarrett Garantano, that uh, it was not pretty, but he, he was not a crybaby or whatnot. He, he just kind of went out there and did his thing and hats off to him players responded to that and he's basically the, the last holdover from the previous staff and I think players still respect him for that too. So, so looking at this Tennessee team I know it, probably, it feels like it's a year early at least a lot of the expectations or the predictions that are out there oh Georgia again in the SEC starts Florida's year to overtake Georgia and don't feel like Tennessee's quite in that conversation yet is it, is it Harrison Bailey that is just being waited upon to be kind of the savior to take it to the next level? What's the quarterback situation like right there? And, and what's kind of the outlook for, for Bailey's future when you might get to see him on the field and, and taking not just snaps, but big time snaps? Right. It's an unfortunate situation. Bailey was an early enrollee, like most pretty good quarterbacks are these days and you know he, he took uh, two practices in spring then of course we all know what happened with the uh, coronavirus pandemic shutting everything down so he didn't really get the the other 13 practices that he was supposed to get so uh, he, he's he's been practicing uh, by his uh, his own self so that's a good sign but yeah he's a good quarterback and he's going to compete he's I think he's still going to be uh, full-fledged to go to compete for that starting job uh, during fall training camp whenever that may start up. So uh, I think Jeremy Pruitt's going to let the two compete, and we'll just see how, how it goes. But uh, I think Jarrett's uh, handled himself well uh, during a lot of tough times the last four to five years he's been here. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we all know in college football these days you can have an incoming freshman, except, especially someone – uh, early in Rolly freshman like Harrison is, we know he didn't have the 13 extra practices, but guess what? He, he's been acclimated some on the college level, and I think he's still good to go to compete. It's, it's a fascinating schedule, I think, for Tennessee this year, not just your regulars of, uh, of the crossover with Alabama or the SEC. And Arkansas is the other one for the West, yeah. so that, that, yeah. that's good for Tennessee. Yeah, uh, but Florida and Georgia on there, obviously, as always. But then a non-conference game at Oklahoma doesn't get much better than that. You talked about helmet games earlier. There's a there's a prime example of it. What's the expectation? I mean, things ended so high last year compared to how low they, they kind of began. What's a fair expectation for Pruitt this year and for Tennessee this year entering 2020 in a, in a I think, not a wide-open SEC East, but certainly a very compelling, a very interesting SEC East. Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee can compete in every game. I think uh, maybe they don't have uh, the a, a lot of the junior, senior top leadership that some of these other teams have, but they're, they're all together. We, we know that. There's a lot of momentum with the program. It's, it's the best coaching staff from top to bottom in the SEC, maybe the country. 
And uh, we talked a little bit before we came on. I mean, you're adding guys off the field like a chip long just for added analysis and, and all that good stuff. But just a lot of positive momentum. And I think they can compete in every single game. Will they win every single one? Probably not. But I think they have a shot. I mean, you look at uh, – like, like you said, at Oklahoma, uh, you got to replace Jalen Hurts, uh, Lamb at receiver. I'm sure Oklahoma's got some guys in reserve, no doubt, but it's still early on. We just don't know the landscape of the season, how many fans are going to be in attendance. We do know that uh, Tennessee reports June 8th for uh, voluntary workouts. Oklahoma goes back July 1st, so they do have a little bit leg up there. Does that matter? We don't know, but it still comes down to playing on the field. But I do a podcast with Coach Rush Probst, uh, who has a long history with Jeremy Pruitt from Hoover High School. Anybody remembers the, the MTV, MTV reality show, series? Yeah. yeah. So we did a podcast, I don't know, it's been a few weeks now, but I kind of put some quotes out in the story too that, look, you know, those are the type of games that Jeremy, as a defensive guy, he – He's been going against these type of offenses, these air raid type of offenses since the Hoover days. That's what they ran at Hoover before air raid took over. So we'll see. Does he have enough playmakers in depth to, to really pull something like that off? You know, we'll find out. But I think they're definitely going to compete and maybe surprise some people. But right now, I, I think maybe, just maybe, the winner of the Florida Tennessee game could win the East. It's at New wow. Stadium in Knoxville. Look, Kirby Smart, you know, hats off to him. He inherited a great program. He's been able to, what is it, three straight SEC East titles. He just can't get over that hump against Alabama. Now, what, third week this year, he goes back to Tuscaloosa where he was a longtime D.C. You know, if even if they win that game, how does his, his team respond to that? I mean, can, can they ride out that high? Or if they lose it, is that the end of their season? Because they know they can't beat Alabama. You know, so and a little bit of maybe some people don't know this in the Notre Dame region or whatnot, but a change of schedule this year. And this never happens hardly in, in SEC scheduling that the scheduling has been flipped where uh, Tennessee and Georgia now play in the second week of November and Tennessee now breaks up that gauntlet in October. They get Missouri at home. Uh, part of the reason for that, Gus Malzahn was complaining that they, uh, in November, they have to end it back-to-back either road games, Georgia and Alabama. If, you know, the next year they'd have to do two straight home games with Georgia-Alabama. So they, the SEC broke that up. And that, out of nowhere, that just benefits Tennessee. Tennessee didn't ask for that. It just kind of, you know, went in their lap. And, you know, that's great for Tennessee. A lot of things have not gone great for the program. In over a decade, but that's something that they didn't even ask for and just kind of landed in, into them. It seems like Tennessee is a team that uh, it's, it feels like Notre Dame was almost pre-Brian Kelly to me. Of You had a flash here, you'd have a flash there, you'll lose a game against a team that's ranked in the top five or top ten that you thought you had a chance to, to kind of program-turning type win. And until Brian Kelly got to Notre Dame, that wasn't happening. And he goes and he beats Oklahoma in 2012, and you realize, okay, well, you might be on to something here. And it was a program changer. I, it, it seems like that's where Tennessee's at for me. It feels different this time around with Tennessee that maybe it's not 2020 where they're playing in Atlanta the first weekend in December, 
but it feels like we're not too far off the Tennessee being a big time threat to get back to the Georgia Dome and, and, and see heights that we haven't really seen for this program in a good decade and a half, two decades. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point. I think also, you know, Tennessee fans, they've, they've gone through what, one year Kiffin uh, after the end of former, and then uh, Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, and they were just kind of, you know, just down. Just down. And then all of a sudden, Philip Former takes over as AD and he hires Jeremy Pruitt, defense coordinator, Alabama. And people are like, okay, we, we, we trust Former, but why is Jeremy Pruitt the guy? And I think people, me and, you know, other people like you, we follow the, the sport. We kind of know, you know, about these top coordinators. But people started looking into Jeremy Pruitt. All right, this guy. Uh, he's got better statistics as the D.C. at Alabama than Kirby Smart. He was the D.C. one year at Florida State. They won it all. He went to Georgia. He had to change the culture at Georgia in 14 and 15. Ultimately, it cost Mark Richt his job. But if he would have given more time or Georgia would have had more time instead of going straight to Kirby Smart, they would have turned the corner, in my opinion, at, at Georgia. But the funny thing is, uh, Pruitt replaces uh, Smart when Smart comes back to Georgia, uh, and and Pruitt, you know, helps ten or helps Alabama win another national title. And you think about it, when Fulmer took over as AD, uh, December seventeen, going into the eighteen year, he hired Alabama's best uh, coordinator, Jeremy Pruitt, as head coach. And then that next offseason, Philip Fulmer and, and Jeremy Pruitt hire. Uh, Georgia's best coordinator and offense coordinator, Jim Chaney. So they've kind of plucked away at those two. And I, I just think that the combination of Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt uh, are quietly kind of taking over the, I, I wouldn't say the sport, but a little bit the sport. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. It, it all comes down to results on the field, you know, but we'll see. I, I just, but I do think there's a lot of momentum people aren't really focusing on. Yeah, it seems like when you see rebuilds, whether it's in Major League Baseball or in, in the NBA or whatever it might be, which organization does it right? Who, who develops talent? Who does it right? Go pick the smartest guy that can get right. from there and go from there. And it seems like kind of what Pruitt is and it's going with that model for it for Tennessee. And it's still early and there's not been any grand returns yet, but if the second half of the last season tells you anything, it tells you that Tennessee's – Tennessee seems like it's a program that's on the rise and they're going to be coming here. He's Dan Harrelson. All, all of his work at ballswire.usatoday.com. Ballswire on Twitter is where you follow all their work as well. This is a bunch of fun, man. Uh, we'll be checking in with you throughout because I think Tennessee is going to be one of those programs that even if it's not in the national championship picture in 2020, I think it's going to be one that uh, a program that a lot of the country has their eyes on and goes into 2021 thinking, oh, boy, that, the big orange beast is back and it's coming. It's going to be an interesting year. Hey, we need to see the series back up again, Notre Dame. You're not kidding. Tennessee. There's some great games in that, too. I mean, that, that one that you there, mentioned. There are. 91, where it's Notre Dame's first, uh, first loss at home in four years, where they, they blow the huge lead. Um, the upset Notre Dame had at Tennessee down in 04, otherwise a forgettable year for Notre Dame. It's a, a, a fun series. And I think that there was 2023, I want to say, both teams share a schedule that's still missing the game. Get that thing on the schedule. Talk to your people. Go talk to Philip Fulmer and uh, 
get him to pick up the phone to Jack Swarbrick and get that done. I need to take <laughs> that. That's right. Dan, thanks for your time, man. This was fun. All right. Thank you. A big thanks to Dan for joining us today on the College Football Morning Announcements. As I said in there, volswire.usatoday.com can follow all of his work there and can follow him as well on all the social media platforms, on Twitter at Volswire. You can follow their site, or if you want to follow Dan personally, a lot of Tennessee information there, some SEC information there that's great for you, at Dan Harrelson. D-A-N-H-A-R-R-A-L-S-O-N is where you can find that. Tennessee, I like I said in there, I think they're a compelling team. I don't think they're quite there yet to be winning an SEC East and playing in Atlanta in the Georgia Dome for the SEC title. But when you look at what was done last year with Jeremy Pruitt, the steps that program took, and... The recruiting classes that it's already assembled for 2022, or 2021 rather, excuse me, it looks like a team that uh, is on the rise, and compared to some of these Tennessee teams we've seen here in recent years, this one looks like it is is taking the steps developmentally that some of the others have not. That's going to do it for this episode of the College Football Morning Announcements. Big thanks to Dan as well for joining us today. Thanks for you for listening as always. If you haven't done it already, hit subscribe, hit rate, and leave a review. And if you don't mind, share it with a college football fan out there as we continue to hopefully make this thing grow. I'm Nick Shepkowski. Have a great Thursday. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll be talking college football again with you probably tomorrow on the College Football Morning, on the college football morning Announcements.